Hey, it's Brad Orsted, and welcome to another episode of Take It Outside, a podcast about, well, healing in nature, really. So thanks for being here. If you were with us on the previous episode called Origins of Take It Outside, you'll know we talked about how I landed on the name for the show. If you missed that episode, you're welcome to go back to it if you'd like and get caught up. I think it's only about seven minutes long. As a trained naturalist, whatever that is, and guide in Yellowstone, we were taught that if you can take care of people's most primal, basic needs, like when they will eat, what they will eat, and let's face it, most importantly, uh, when and where they can go to the bathroom, it helps the clients to relax and enjoy their experience a little bit more and a little more deeply. So with that being said, and since I'm, I'm kind of your guide on this journey, I want to let you know what you can expect. So while I can't control the food or the bathroom breaks on this trek per se, I do hope that on this short trip that you can find your way to an emotional outhouse, should you need it, and also find some nourishment along the way. I'm going to keep these first three segments of backstory fairly short, about 15 minutes each. So if you're ready... I'm ready. Let's get laced up and hit this trail. I was born in Des Moines, Iowa on March 16, 1970. My mom left my biological father shortly thereafter, and we moved to Goshen, Indiana to stay with some of her soon-to-be ex-husband's family. While we were there, she met a tall, quiet mechanic who raced cars on the weekends and had recently survived a tour of duty in the jungles of Vietnam. And he also happened to be my biological father's second cousin. Before long, the two were dating, followed quickly by wedding bells, and my name was completely changed one day, unbeknownst to me as a toddler, to match my new adopted father's surname. What a pretty cool dude. In just a few short baby years of primarily eating, pooping, and sleeping, I had gone from being a Hawkeye to being a Hoosier, whatever that is, and my name had been changed from Charles Bradley Jones to Bradley Ryan Orsted. Was I already in the witness relocation program before I was two years old? How mysterious. Were we in the mob? Or did this kind of shit happen all the time in rural Indiana? Think again, West by God, Virginia, if you think you have the corner office on, well, let's call them dynamic family trees. Your rib-flicking neighbors to the north may be vying for the view. This was well before the Jerry Springer show, I think, and too bad. Otherwise, we would have been the perfect guests. Young, corn-fed mom flees Midwest for deeper Midwest, marries first husband's second cousin while duping her young, naive son into thinking he's from the loins of a Norwegian race car driver. So I grew up genetically oblivious in northern Indiana, eating corn on the cob, Oscar Mayer hot dogs while spelling out the brand's name, and lots of government cheese. We washed it all down with Big K Cola, black cherry being my favorite, and Kool-Aid with twice the sugar. Summers we went to the county fair and ate elephant ears, and I fished with friends along endless rivers and creeks. 
My idols were Evil Knievel, Bruce Lee, and Gene Simmons. I also had that famous poster of Farrah Fawcett in her red one-piece on my wall. She would stare down at me as I sat cross-legged on the floor while God of Thunder played on my portable turntable. It seems like it was right about this time our parents informed my sister and I that we would be moving to the country near an orchard. And with that, we left our little pink house. Yeah, we grew up in a little pink house in Indiana, well before John Hoosier Melonhead memorialized them. So yes, we left our little pink house on Riverside Avenue and moved a few miles outside of town into a brand new tri-level with black shutters on Peachtree Lane. Unfortunately, a brand new house, the ripping of my sister and I away from the only friends we'd ever known, and pseudo-orchard living was not idyllic enough to salvage my parents' marriage. And they divorced a few years after we moved out to the country when I was about 15, and I think my sister was around 12. When my mom's new boyfriend started staying over within weeks of my dad's leaving, I decided I wanted to go live with my dad. It was then my mom told me that I was adopted and that my dad was in fact not my biological father. I don't think at that early age I could even really process what that meant, except that I was very hurt and very confused. But one thing I knew for sure is that I definitely did not want to live at home anymore, whatever the hell that was. And really, what else about me was a lie? I mean, I was definitely a Hoosier by then, mostly because I kept asking myself, who's your ma, and more importantly, who's your pa? The next few years, I got pretty good at running away from home, but it always ended with the police tracking me down to a friend's basement and dragging me back to my dysfunctional home life. I bounced between my parents' houses as much as I could, manipulating them both, and interlaced it with drunkenly racing Camaros down county roads at night with Judas Priest screaming for vengeance on the Pioneer tape deck and a head full of strawberry acid. This seemed to be how misfit teenagers spent their Tuesday school nights in the Midwest. Oddly enough, and I know it's going to be hard to believe, but my grades began to slip. I had been an honor roll student my first two years of high school, and very active in sports in the church. I had played football and ran track and wrestled and, and loved going to youth group with my friends. But by the time I hit my senior year, my GPA had slipped to an abysmal new low and I was done with sports and more importantly anyone, especially in the church, who told me what to do. My peer group had also shifted from doctors and CEOs kids studying hard for their colleges of choice to a new group of Ted Nugent party kids who also came from broken homes, like me, and they would be entering the workforce long before they could vote. I remember looking down on this dope-smoking crowd of fiends and heathens just a few years before as I signed my code of conduct for the upcoming football season. But now, these are my peeps, and I fell in with my new dropout crew like a cold beer, barely graduating from high school. I had done a complete 180 in less than two years, and shortly after barely graduating from high school, while most of my old friends were heading off to college, 
I was entering the workforce myself. I pretty much frittered and drifted away the next 15 years or so, bouncing around between Indiana, Colorado, and Arizona. There was a year of college in there for photography and a few good jobs, but I was more concerned really with drinking beer, hiking, and trout fishing in the mountains of Colorado with my dogs and my friends. I wasn't unhappy, but I don't think I was really happy either. I guess I just enjoyed my 20s so much, I extended them into my 30s. I was coming to terms with the fact that I may be a career trout bum bachelor with a German shepherd, and really, I was kind of starting to be okay with that. Then, always open for adventure and a change of venue, a job opportunity took me from Colorado to a place I loved, Michigan. Right after I moved there, I I did start to wonder why in the hell I had left Colorado for Michigan. And then I met Stacy. Stacy was an attractive single professional mom with two little girls from a previous marriage, and holy cow, I fell head over heels for all three of them. Within a few years of being together, we were making our wedding plans and expecting our first baby together. I had gone from thinking I might be destined for a remote cabin in Alaska with a waist-length beard and fashioning my own line of loincloths for Etsy to being a full-time suburban dad with an instant family. Although it was a drastic change, it was a really good change. The love of a family had eluded me for decades, and now I had three girls and another one on the way. On April 22, 2009, our daughter Marley Ann was born in Holland, Michigan, our healthy, happy, blue-eyed Earth Day baby. Her middle name was shared with her maternal grandmother, and our little family was complete. Stacy worked as a CEO for a disease-related nonprofit, and I had been in the pain industry for decades, but decided as a new dad, maybe this was the time to make a career change. So I stayed at home with Marley that first year, and studied for and then passed my real estate exam. A really brilliant career choice in 2009 after the collapse of the economy the previous year. Michigan had been hit especially hard, but I was hoping to ride the wave of a housing boom when the tides finally turned. But what turned is it turned out that I was a pretty crappy realtor in a very clicky town. Even though I was half Dutch, I had an adopted Norwegian last name that only betrayed the paternal Irish DNA that I really carried. But we joked that maybe if I put a van before my last name, like Brad Van Orsted, Dutch realtor at large, maybe I uh, could get a few more closings in Tulip Town. But eventually I leaned back into my paintwork, contracting jobs from my real estate agency and also putting in my time at the uh, at a desk at the office. We'd hired a wonderful nanny for Marley in the spring of 2010, so... I could paint walls during the day and try to sell houses while Stacy ran her office. My relationship with my mom had been, well, standoffish at best, I guess, since I had moved out as a teenager. We'd had some fun moments, of course, 
since then, but there always seemed to be an underlying tension between us. Even though I'd been living in Colorado for most of my adult life, she was still with her third husband, and I didn't want our messy relationship to have any effect on the future relationship I hoped she would be building with her only granddaughter, Marley. So with some trial and error, we began attempting to forge a new relationship. My mom and my stepdad had been there since day one with Marley, albeit a little bit overbearing at times, but I chalked it up to the excitement of being a new grandparent and with a little blue-eyed angel named after her. Who could blame her? We had decided to give Marley part of my mom's middle name in an effort to repair things between us and come together as a family. Our shared love of Marley would be the glue that brought us all back together. So it was after Marley's first birthday party that my mom really started lobbying to have Marley for an overnight visit. My mom had babysat for most of my friends and pretty much all of our neighbors, it seemed, and she loved having little kids around. And since Marley had stayed at her maternal grandmother's house already, it only seemed fair that we make some plans for Marley to go spend a few summer days with her paternal grandma and grandpa. Marley was now 15 months old, standing, almost walking, chattering, really starting to vocalize. She loved to try and say the word backpack, which was her favorite mode of travel. I think Marley and I closed every paint bid we did together. When we, when we went out on those things together, we were unstoppable. So Stacy and I fought with some ground rules that Marley was a big girl and she could spend a couple of days in Indiana with her doting grandparents. Stacy and I wondered if Marley might even take her first steps at Grandma's house. I mean, what could go wrong? So on a muggy July 14, 2010, I loaded up Marley, her high chair, her pack-and-play, and her favorite blankie, and we made the nearly two-hour drive to Grandma's house in Indiana. It would be the last time that I would see Marley alive. Please join me on my next episode of Take It Outside, where I'll do my best to explain what happened to Marley, and I'll do my best to explain what happened to me as a result. So until then, take care. Please try to get outside a little bit every day, and I'll see you next time on Take It Outside.